Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... It has changed the attitude towards disability employment Mm. for the thousands and thousands of people that have already come into contact with the hotel. And that's really ultimately the big picture change. We change individual lives, but then we also change everybody else out there. And that's really the the major objective. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 290 of Impact Boom. My name's Indio Miles and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today we're speaking with Andrea Comastri. Andrea is a co-founder and director of Hotel Etico Australia, the first social enterprise hotel in Australia employing and training young people with disabilities. Andrea is focused on establishing the social enterprise as a leading example of innovation in the sector, providing opportunities to young people with intellectual disabilities, as well as challenging the wider community to see both the human and economic value of an inclusive society that focuses on abilities rather than disabilities. Andrea is an expert change maker with 25 years experience facilitating change and social impact in the community, having held management, executive and director roles in charities and philanthropic organisations in disabilities, youth and education, as well as advisory roles in a number of state and federal advisory bodies in health and aged care. Andrea is currently Director at Social Advisory and Research at RPS, focusing on social value and social procurement through Australia's investment in infrastructure. Between 2016 and 2021, Andrea was responsible for the establishment and management of the PACE Foundation, working with a wide portfolio of charity partners in areas such as addiction, homelessness, and social isolation, domestic violence, mental and disability, and youth unemployment. Andrea is an honorary industry fellow at the UTS Business School, where he has been a guest contributor to the Master of Not-for-Profit and Social Enterprise and a partnership committee member of the Social Enterprise Council of New South Wales and ACT, SECNA. On today's podcast, we'll discuss building inclusivity into the foundations of a business, and how impact-led individuals can create valuable and sustainable business propositions. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, India. So to start off, Andrea, could you please share a bit about your background and what led to your interest and work in social enterprise? Pleasure. First of all, I mean, you've covered a lot of that already in the introduction, but as you said, I've worked in and around the not-for-profit sector for over 25 years. So I've gone from working at the front end in services in small organizations to having more of an all-rounder roles, marketing, management, executive roles, director roles, CEO, in both small and large organizations in the not-for-profit sector. I 
consider myself, regardless of who I suppose employs me at the time, as really working in and for the not-for-profit sector and everything that, that, that goes with that. So yes, as you say, over the last five years, after having worked for a long time directly in the not-for-profit sector, I have worked in the philanthropic area, in the philanthropic sector. And so establishing and managing the, the foundation at Pace, which is a large property developer in, in New South Wales, mm -hmm. opened up another way of working for and in the not-for-profit sector. For me. And I have to admit at that point, it's an area that I didn't really know well, but it has opened up a, a great deal of opportunities in my mind of, of what can be done to unlock potential and innovate and make a difference. In particular, in, in that role, we were very focused on finding ways of unlocking innovation in not-for-profit minds and not-for-profit professionals. And so the social enterprise model was definitely one of the key tools that we were looking and we used to facilitate change. We ran a couple of social enterprises ourselves within the hospitality sector and the horticultural sector, supporting youth unemployment and people with an addiction to substances and alcohol, both in terms of providing employment and training opportunities, as well as provide, generating profit that would then go into the service provision of support of those particular individuals. We supported other charities in terms of, of trying to unlock new ways of doing business. And so that there's a great need for the not-for-profit space to, you know, and this is nothing necessarily too new, but it, there's a great need to unlock the ability of becoming sustainable and not being reliant on just one source of funding or government funding necessarily. And this is something that actually going back to my experience in the not-for-profit sector, 20 years ago, we were already actually doing quite extensively in, in that space in terms of creating new business and the new ability of generating untied funding that would allow us to do more. As you said, within the circles of the social enterprise sector, since then, with a number of different hats, both in terms of interacting with social traders, in terms of certifying the social enterprises that I'm involved in and I was, I've been involved in, being involved in SECNA, the new big body in New South Wales, which is really starting to make a difference in the sector in facilitating and, and spreading the, the great power for change that social enterprise model has. And then ultimately in my newest professional role at RPS as Director of Social Advisory and Research, myself and my team focus on making sure that the, the large level of spending and investment that governments in New South Wales and around Australia in reality around the world are now unlocking a great level of social value in addition to the economic value that that creates. We can talk about that a little bit more. In a lot of ways, throughout my career, I have been involved in the not-for-profit sector. More recently, for the last five, six years, with a strong focus on social enterprises. And then, obviously, the last two or three years, Hotel Etico has been a great focus of my, of my approach and my way of implementing this uh, great passion around the power of social enterprise. What an amazing background and the experiences that you've had really all tie into that kind of that that trajectory and where you are right now. And you just touched on it at the end there that, Andrea, you're the founder of Hotel Etico in Australia, and it's an amazing social enterprise. But could you tell us a bit more about it and the social change that it's creating? 
Absolutely, yeah, is a model that was born in Italy over a decade ago, actually, established by great innovators that I had the great luck of meeting here in Australia a few years ago, and, and that's where it all started in Australia. So I, with Alex Toselli, the founder of the model in Italy, I found uh, the social enterprise in Australia. Over the last two or three years, we've worked like every good startup in, in terms of establishing the organization, registering it, finding the initial seed funding. And finally, in November last year, we opened the first hotel. The Atletico is the first social enterprise hotel in Australia that employs and trains people with a disability. We focus on intellectual disability. We have trainees that are employed by us and trained for a period of at least 12 months. And they're trained and, and supported by a team of hospitality and disability professionals. The key is that they learn on the job the hospitality skills. And as they learn, they develop their capacity for independent living because we have an on-site apartment that we call the Academy of Independence. And through the Academy, they live there while they work and they put in practice the skill that they learn on the job, but that they also need in their, in their everyday life. We always refer to the hotel like as a big home. Everything you do in a hotel is really transferable to your individual private day-to-day life. Or you welcome guests and you prepare a meal or you clean a kitchen, you clean your bedroom, your bathroom, you sweep the floor and everything else that goes with it. It's a big supportive way of learning those skills that then you can transfer. Your, to your life and become independent, but at the same time, learning a job, learning skills, earning a living, and having the opportunity of then transferring that into actually open employment outside of Hoteletico at the end of the program. The key thing at Hoteletico is that trainees are really front and center of the whole experience. They, mm. they interact with guests every day, they face the public, they talk to the public, and they're not like tucked away like it used to be in the past where disability employment used to be put in place. We are a totally inclusive workplace and our trainees are, are the key feature, the key um, engine of the hotel. Then we partner with their families to make sure that the skills that they learn at home. And then at the end of the program, we support them in securing longer term employment outside the hotel. That's the impact that we want to create, that we create, that we have experience overseas in creating with partners overseas. And uh, already the model and the, the, the international network of ethical has employed over 150 trainees around the world. And more importantly, I think it has changed the attitude towards disability employment mm. for the thousands and thousands of people that have already come into contact with the hotel. And that's really ultimately the big picture change. We change individual lives, but then we also change everybody else out there. And that's really the, the major objective. Those layers and layers of impact, just such a huge scope of impact at yes. Hotel Etico. And I just, I love what you were saying there about that kind of front and center, like exposure of the issue and just showing it to the public and being unapologetic about that, which is just, Absolutely. yeah, it's really beautiful. It's a great way to run an enterprise. And as well, you've had some recent success with Hotel Etico as a recent finalist, the Funding Network Australia's virtual live event, and you managed to raise some significant funding to support this enterprise. What are the next steps for Hotel Etico and where do you see yourselves by the end of next year? That was an absolutely overwhelming experience and the, the level of support that became evident through, through that event, both from the TFN team and all the partners and, and the public that came to the event, 
there's no words to describe it and really heartwarming. We know that we are onto something really successful and really good to really see it happening and hear the supports and the words and the dollars coming because at the end you need money to run the program is just overwhelming. First of all, the first focus at the moment that we're working on is to re-establish ourselves after an extended period of lockdown. Everybody else, but particularly the hospitality business, since the end of June, and until recently, until October, unfortunately, we had to be in forced lockdown. So obviously, everything went into be a little bit of hibernation, even though we continue to conduct a program online to keep the connection with the trainees and to keep the training going. But we've reopened in October. Our trainees have started back last week, which is fantastic. There's a great level of excitement of energy from everyone, both internally and externally. And, and the support that came out of the TFN event has been an, another great springboard in a way to, to feed that energy. Uh, the level of promotion, the, the practical support as well, the in-kind support that we've received is amazing. So in terms of looking at the future, at the end of 2022, if I just want to look forward, and mind you, nowadays looking forward has become like a bit of a gamble with how things change pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. I think we are on a bit of a safer path at the moment, which is great. Uh, but at the end of 2022, we will definitely have graduated the current group of trainees expected to graduate in the middle of the year. We would have started a new intake uh, again around that time. We would have also most likely expanded the current group of trainees. So we have six trainees at the moment, but we're looking at a, at a potential of probably 10 to 12, also thanks to the contribution of the, of the funds that we were able to raise from the funding network, which is amazing have capacity to expand. We have also started building employment pathways outside of Hotel Ethical, which is an important element of our program. And so we are working with the hospitality industry as we speak to create solid pathways out of the hotel and into open employment because we want to equip the the business sector, the hospitality sector in particular, the business sector in general, not only with the open-mindedness, but also with the skills and the ability to be ready to employ people with a disability. We are um, encouraged by the fact that the the federal government is about to release a disability employment strategy. So I think there's a bit of momentum. There's been some quite a bit of talk in the media about employment of people with disability and inclusion. So we're very encouraged by what's happening, even though there's a long way to go. And then ultimately, I believe that by the end of 2022, we would have already started talking. We have already started talking, in in, in fact, but to be a little bit more serious about our plans for expansion, we have a very clear vision of expanding the hotel to other sites around Australia. And we would like to have a hotel in every state and territory in the country within the next decade. We already have quite a bit of interest from some areas. And so we are going to start planning on that. Obviously, we need to resource that, proper plans, not just vision, but we are working in that direction. By the end of 2022, I think there will be a little bit more concrete things around that area. Yeah. And just such a wonderful vision to have and to see that in every state and territory is, yeah, it would be quite amazing. And just the buzz, it sounds like that's present at the moment at Hotel Etico. It sounds like everyone's so excited for 2022, which is just great. Totally. Yeah. And as a director in your, you talked about this at the beginning as well, is that you've recently acquired another professional role as a director of social advisory research at RPS, and it's a leading advisory firm for business. So where do you see opportunities for people to create value while tackling global issues through business? 
Yes, as I said, I always have a, a way of filtering my professional roles in a way that sort of have, I see them as a way of acting on behalf of the not-for-profit sector in a way. My role that I started only three, four months ago with RPS is really trying to unlock through the unprecedented levels of government investment that in infrastructure that, that we are seeing in New South Wales, in Australia and around the world, really, unlock social value out of that investment. RPS has a, has a strong reputation and a strong expertise in working with governments at all levels around that space, especially around infrastructure projects, talking about roads, airport, metro lines, trail line, water, energy, renewable energy. And there's an enormous opportunity for governments, business and the general community to make sure that there's a real long lasting social value unlocked through that. Our role at RPS through the team of social advisory and research is to make sure that those infrastructure projects are not just creating economic value and, and physical infrastructure, but they are used to unlock that value and value that is about first and foremost employment of people that are often facing barriers to employment. We're talking about people with disabilities, indigenous people, migrant, refugees, women in non-traditional roles, young people, long-term unemployed. There's a great opportunity from governments and the contractors that end up building the infrastructure to really make a difference that is long-lasting, place-based, local, and unlocks local potential. And that goes well beyond the value that they're creating physically. And it goes well beyond they're staying in the area. You want to focus around capacity building. And so our focus is to work with our clients and with governments to make sure that happens. We've got great expertise within the team and we've, we're already working on a number of significant projects around the country. And it's very exciting because as I said, from my personal perspective, it's just another stepping stone in that pathway to, for me, to be a change agent for those that, that are less advantaged, less capable, or, or that often find barriers to employment, employment or inclusion. And for me, it's just another way of unlocking that in a much bigger scale. Mm, such a fantastic piece of advice there that you've just given. Thank you so much for sharing that, that piece of wisdom there, Andrea. And in the future, how do you believe entrepreneurs can best build their businesses to operate sustainably and utilize resources responsibly? Everyone can definitely and should definitely do their own bit. I mean, that's just not about entrepreneurs or, or businesses, you know, every individual in their own life can make a, a difference. From a business perspective, both large and small businesses need to look at their own practices. They need to look both at, at the environmental perspective, but also from a social responsibility perspective. There's plenty of wealth and, and plenty to go around for everyone looking at practices within a business that are inclusive and that facilitate the inclusion and the building of the capacity of those that face barriers in their life for whatever reason just makes good business sense and makes good human sense. It's about changing environmental practices within a business. It's about having an inclusive workforce. It's about engaging your workforce to look at, at opportunities outside to make a difference to know your communities that you work with, to put back into the communities in a meaningful way. And I'm not just talking about donations. Of course, donations, it's, 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 it, they're needed. Money is needed by the not-for-profit sector, the, the social enterprise sector, the charity sector. But 
it needs to go beyond that. I think there are examples out there that are really powerful, but the difference really in creating long-lasting and meaningful change is about engaging with your customers, with your staff, with your communities and partnering. If I think back of what I was doing with the Pace Foundation, it wasn't just a funding relationship that we had with our charity partners. It was true partnerships. We, we were really working hand in hand. And that in the end, it makes sense for the business that sits behind, but it makes sense just as human being. As I said, there's plenty to go around. And I think we can all share it a little bit more and we can all make um, a, a big difference in the world by being inclusive and, and, and open to help each other. I really love that message about how you can be sustainable at any level, no matter if you're an enterprise or just an individual trying to make change. Those are some really important key lessons there. And we're coming in near to the end of the interview, Andrea, and I've just got two questions left. And the first one is, what other organizations have you seen that you believe are creating a really strong social impact? Look, that's, that, that's a hard question because, mm. first of all, it's hard to single people out or, or, or there's a risk of leaving others out. One thing that I can say is that it's probably just to do with the fact that it's fresh in my memory, in my experience. But having just come from the philanthropic sector, I can definitely tell you that there are some amazing examples out there of really enlightened philanthropic organizations that are doing amazing things. That's both in terms of family foundations and, and, and corporate foundations. Names that probably your audience has, has heard many times, like Paul Ramsey, the Snow Foundation, uh, the English Family Foundation, VFFF, Westback Foundation, and, and quite a number of other ones. But obviously, they've got the capacity to make a difference, and that makes a difference. That makes it easier. Yeah. But they also have a vision, and they've really understood that it's all about creating capacity. It's not about a handout. It's not about giving people fish, but it's about teaching how to fish, right? So mm-hmm. it's about building the capacity, accepting the fact that things can fail, and, and sticking with the people that you want to support for the long term, accepting that some things might not work, but others will work and will make a difference. So I think that they're just some examples, of course. And then there's examples in the social enterprise sector or, or small and, and larger social enterprises. And one, I think, that is that is significant at the moment, that is really making a big difference is just everything that goes around one white box enterprises. They are really making a difference in in not only in supporting the sector in growing, but also in, in unlocking scalable models of social enterprises that turn the model on its head to some extent. And it's not anymore about small little startups that might not make a huge difference in the large scale, in the in large, yeah, in large numbers, but actually like big, large employment businesses and make a big difference that actually meets the demand. Because one of the big things that we face as a challenge in the space is that while there is an increase in demand pushed by governments and some enlightened philanthropies or or corporates, there also needs to be a, a strong supply side. There are champions within the sector that are working around it and White Box is one of them. Um, But there's also a responsibility, I think, for governments, both the state and federal level, to facilitate that growth of the the capacity of the supply side of social enterprises. Because buyers, we want scalable, reliable and quality services and goods 
they, they, they can buy because they, they can be nice to buy them. But if they're not there, they will struggle. And so the governments need to work at both ends of that of that uh, of the spectrum. Mm, yeah. And as well as government, you were just saying at the end there, but those were a few really key organizations and I guess activators within the social enterprise yes. sector, just really helping people unlock their potential and enter the sector successfully. And to finish off, Andrea, what books or resources would you recommend to our listeners? I don't know if I'd recommend them. I'm going to tell you, I can tell you what I've most recently been reading. I, I, I don't think yeah, I I tend to actually listen to books a lot. Um, yeah, no, hundred percent. Any podcast, uh, any resource, please, please right. share it. That's right. I'm a bit of an obsessive long distance runner, so I have a lot of time uh, by myself on the road <laughs> and in the bush, especially in the mountains and in the bush, listening to books, which is fantastic. So that, just to give you three three books that I've recently listened to, and and mm. they will give you a little bit of more of an eclectic uh, picture of, of what yeah. I listen to. I tend to I tend to listen mostly to non-fictional thing one book that i've really enjoyed and i think it's a book that needs to be listened to rather than read is mythos from stephen fry and it's a book about greek mythology but it's amazing first of all stephen fry is amazing how he how he reads his books but but it, it just gives this great link to the, the the to things that we talk about and say every, every day and and the the current thinking and and the language and the way the language has developed, it's all linked back to a lot of the stories in the Greek mythology. So I find it really fascinating and enjoyable. Another book that I love to, to, to run, read and, uh, and, and listen to that is Born to Run, which is a more fictional, semi-fictional book by Jonathan McDougall. It's actually an enjoyable book for anyone. Then one of the more recent books by Simon Sinek, who's known for starting with a why and a lot of very mm. um, innovative way of thinking of management and making change and being successful in business, which is The Infinite Game. So it's a book that I've recently listened to and made reference to. And, and it's about opening up the, the mind to the game doesn't have to be a finite game, but need to open up the horizon and, and see things like growing the pie in a way in, in terms mm. of opportunities. It's a bit of an eclectic choice of things, but I like to mix it up. And as I said, I, I listen to them rather than reading them. Great range of books there. And all of those resources that you just recommended, all three of those wonderful kind of audio books there and all of the organizations that you've mentioned throughout the interview and just before all of those foundations as well, they'll all be linked at the end of the article. So once the listeners have either read through the article or listened to our interview, they'll be able to click on through and check out all of those amazing pieces there. And we've come to the end of the interview. Andrea, I just really want to thank you for sharing your time with us today and sharing your generous insights and your wisdom and all of the lessons you've learned throughout your years in the sector. And I just want to say the work of Hotel Etico and RPS and all of these things you're doing are just incredible. And I can't wait to see what happens in the future. And I just wish you all the best and I can't wait to follow your journey. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much for allowing me to share my experience. And looking forward to also listening to any more interviews that you guys would have. You're doing a very, very good job. So thank you for putting this space as well. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.